Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Bill Press Pod. You know, Donald Trump has insulted many reporters, but few of them as harshly as he insulted ABC's Jonathan Carl just last week. At one of his worthless daily coronavirus briefings, Trump lashed out at Carl for joining a reporter from Fox News and asking about a report from the Health and Human Services Agency that hospitals were complaining about the lack of protective equipment. Trump didn't like the question. You're a third-rate reporter, he bellowed. You'll never make it. Well, Trump's wrong about that, too. As a journalist, Jonathan Carl's already made it. He's chief White House correspondent for ABC News. He's former political reporter for the New York Post and CNN. He's known Trump longer than any other White House reporter. And he was elected by his colleagues as president of the White House Correspondents Association. What Trump was probably most unhappy about is that Jonathan Carls also just published a new tell-all book, Front Row at the Trump Show, which offers a factual but devastating portrait of life in the Trump White House. Believe me, I've read every book written about the Trump presidency so far. Jonathan Carls is by far the best. John Carl, good to see you, my friend, from old CNN days, huh? It's been a long time. We, we go back. We go back almost as long as I go back with Donald Trump. But I think I know you a lot better, actually. <laughs> Even after all this time, congratulations! Uh, your new book, "Front Row at the Trump Show." Tell us about the first time you met Donald Trump. It wasn't when Donald Trump got to the White House. You've known him a long time. Tell us about the first time and what your first impressions were of Donald Trump. It was such a crazy story, Bill. I, I was a uh, reporter for the New York Post, and I'd only been on the job for like six months or so. And I, I was an aspiring political reporter. You know, I wanted to, uh, I, I wanted to report on politics. I wanted to, you know, report on City Hall. I had worked my way to be like the number three guy at City Hall for the um, uh, for the New York Post. There was a new mayor there. I don't know if you remember the guy. He was a former prosecutor. Oh no! Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. a science advisor. To me. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Rudy Giuliani was the new mayor, uh, but I was at the New York Post, and and there was this story that had just consumed New York, and especially uh, New York's tabloids. News had just broken that Michael Jackson, king of pop, had married. Elvis Presley's daughter, Lisa Marie Presley. I mean, this was his biggest story. So nobody yeah. cared about my little, you know, whatever scoops I might get out of City Hall that day. So I, I wanted, you know, I was, a, I was an aggressive young reporter. I wanted to get in the paper. So how can I get in the paper on this, on this story? I didn't really, you know, have much to say about Michael Jackson. But I did notice that the two uh, who had not been spotted in public yet, since, since news of their wedding had broke, their marriage had broke, 
uh, we're staying at Trump Tower. Oh, yeah, so, of course, uh, of course. Yeah, where else? So I um, literally, you remember phone books, Bill? They, 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 they uh, don't remember these things anymore. But I, I, I literally looked up the number for the Trump, uh, Trump organization in the phone book dialed the general number and asked to speak to Donald Trump. <laughs> Just on a whim. I was like, whatever, you know, I'll see what I can get. And I because, got <laughs> Yeah. Because he runs a hotel, right? Oh yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, so I I, I figured I this was my way into the story. So I, I got connected with his secretary rather quickly, uh, a woman named Norma Federer, who was she she died a few years ago, but she was a legendary gatekeeper for all things Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, basically like helped raise the kids. I mean, really a member of the family. She picked up the phone, gruff, you know, no, no, no nonsense woman. So what do you want? And I said, well, like, I have a story. I'm with the New York post. I have a story I want to pitch to Mr. Trump. And she said, what is it? And I said, well, I, why would the most famous newlyweds in the world want to have their honeymoon on Trump tower? Mm. <laughs> Good. Yeah. <laughs> I figured I didn't know Trump, but I figured right. that, that pitch might just somehow, you know, uh, resonate with him. <laughs> and uh, and he called me back in less than an hour directly. The you know, phone rang and it was him. And he said, come on up. So I grabbed a, you know, got a photographer, a Francis Whoa. Becker. Yeah. We, we went right up to Trump Tower and uh, went through the police line. You can imagine because of this, you know, that everybody was trying to get a glimpse of, of Michael and the Lisa famous Marie. couple, right? I mean, I mean, the paparazzi, the, 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 the tank, the local camera crews, all the New York tourists on, I mean, everybody. So they had police lines all around Trump tower. And I marched right through, right through the entrance of Trump tower and got whisked up to his office and uh, for the next hour, got this ridiculously over-the-top tour of Trump Tower. <laughs> uh, of course. <laughs> and from him. Yeah. From him. Uh, we had some ground rules. He told me that I could uh, use this information, uh, quoting a source um, in the Trump organization. Mm, yeah. <laughs> There's only one source in the Trump organization. <laughs> of course. Really, if you want a reliable information of actually what's going to happen in the White House, there's really only one source there, uh, you know. Yeah. Um, but and he must uh, have given you the sales pitch for the hotel, right? Oh, my well, that was the whole thing. And then and then yeah. we did a we did a you can imagine the New York Post. We did a, I, I in my book, I I I show some pictures uh, including the, the front page of the post massive screaming headlines of, of their, you know, the, the famous couple's honeymoon nest. He showed me, you know, the, the, you know, the apartment where they were staying. He showed me, uh, I, I, entered, I didn't, I didn't see the famous couple, but I met Michael's bodyguards. He showed me the secret tunnels they used uh, to get out, um, to, to avoid the, the, the mob outside. And, uh, and then Bill, he, um, he, the, the sales pitch was incredible. He showed me he wanted me to know all the famous people who lived in Trump Tower. And he told me what floor they were on. Oh, so, my God. Sophia yeah. Loren, um, uh, Steven Spielberg, the British royal family. So the Post dr- had drawing of Trump Tower with arrows <laughs> pointing to where these people that wanted maybe some privacy, exactly right. where right. they lived. Um, oh. But to me, it was my, my, my reaction was, first of all, total showman, salesman. Uh, actually, I mean, it was fun. Uh, it was not a serious thing at all. Right. And, um, you know, the post ate it up and, and, and he was so eager. And by the way, he told me, I, I, I pulled out the story again, cause I wrote this in 1994 and like, I guess there were several stories inside the paper. I have them all still. And he told me the details of Michael's lease. 
of the oh, apartment. No. I really? mean, all this oh, stuff. Yeah. God. Yeah. How much he paid, so, how long it was for. But the thing is, what, what, what it was, the reason why it was so quintessentially Trump is it, it was a chance. It was the biggest story of that moment, you know, in kind of public mind right. in New York. And he managed to, with, with my pitch, grab it because it made him the story the centerpiece of what was the biggest. So not Michael, Lisa Marie, it was him. Right. So nothing has changed. Absolutely nothing has changed. I have a photograph from that day. You see the two of us. Uh, you know, I have a really bad haircut, uh, a, a awful and wrinkled suit and a really bad tie. Um, and Donald Trump is exactly the same. Red tie that's too long, dark suit, same grin, same hair. He's probably like 30 pounds lighter, uh, you know, uh, than he is now. But I mean, same. He looks exactly the same. Yeah. So given that you've known him that long, you said 1994. Let's jump to um, a couple of days ago at the briefing where you and Donald Trump had a little encounter. Uh, now, I want to be sure I get the facts straight. The question about posed to him was about a Health and Human Services Inspector General report that some hospitals were complaining they were not getting the protective gear that they needed. Originally asked by a Fox News reporter, I'm sorry, I don't know her, her name, you followed up by pointing out that this person had, in fact, worked in the previous administration in some capacity. Got it right so far? Totally. Uh, okay. Well, well, I mean, and, and, and to just be clear, the, yeah. the, the, the president kind of abused, you know, verbally abused the, uh, the Fox News reporter for asking this question. She was specifically asking about an element of the inspector general report regarding testing. Yes. That, that these hospitals, it's a survey of 330 hospitals, that, that they were saying that they would send the tests out and they, the labs weren't getting back for a week or, or, or longer and this was a problem. Right. So he was mad at her and said, well, what is the name of the, uh, of the inspector general? What is the name? And, um, you know, and, and she didn't have it. So um, he moved on and I quickly looked and picked up the name and, and all this. And I said, uh, Mr. Trump, uh, here's the inspector general's name. And um, by the way, this is a serious question. It's not the inspector general's opinion. It was based on a survey of right. more than 300 hospitals. And you know, the, the, real, the real question is, have you fixed the obvious problems with testing? And that's when he was like, well, where, uh, you know, how long is this? How long has she worked? You know, uh, you know who, who hired her? And then, and then I didn't have that information tip of my finger. So he went on somewhere else. And I quickly looked that she became the acting inspector general in uh, in January of this year. Under it, President Trump. Under President Trump. He so, appointed her. Yes. So I said, wait a minute, back to this, uh, you know, uh, January <laughs> of this year. And then he was like, well, we're going to have to look into this. And then he stews and you can tell he's angry and he takes a step back. And then the exchange that has been played a lot that you're referring to is, was, uh, right. is, is he comes out and he looks at me again and says, well, how long was she, you know, she'd been around. Let and me interrupt you there and let's listen to that exchange because not okay. everybody on the podcast has heard it yet. But yeah. with that background, right, he's coming back yeah. to how long has she worked basically administration? Here we go. Uh, did serve in the previous administration. Oh, you didn't tell me that. Oh, I see. You didn't tell me that, John. You didn't tell me that. Did serve in the previous administration. You mean the Obama administration. Thank you for telling me that. See, there's a typical 
fake news deal. Now, look, look. I told you when she was appointed. You're a third-rate reporter, and what you just said is a disgrace. Okay? You asked me. You said, "Sir, just got appointed." Take a look at what you said. Now, I said, when did they, when did this person, how long in government? Well, it was appointed in the Obama administration. Thank you very much, John. Thank you very much. You will never make it. Go ahead. There it is. You'll never make it. Your career's over. Uh, (laughs) So, but isn't this a classic response? Don't answer the question. Attack the messenger or attack, in this case, the uh, inspector general. By the way, yes, totally. But but by the way, another thing that I tried to, you know, as he was going on and on, I, I, I was trying to say you can't hear, uh, is that if everybody on the stage, Admiral Gerard, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Uh, 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 Burks, uh, Dr. Fauci, all served in the previous administration. They all did. I mean, yeah. everybody except for him and Pence, everybody on the pay, on, on the stage. It's, it's, it's hardly like, a, you know, a strike against anybody. They, they, these are career government servants. So anyway, uh, but it is classic. He, he never actually answers the question. Does it and bother he, you that well, he attacks you personally, third-rate reporter? What bothers me is that he's not answering the question, and that's where I'm like, now, wait a minute. Let's get back. This is not about me. It's not about, you know, it's not about his trying to, like, intimidate me. It's about... The testing, remember, this is ultimately about the problems, the obvious massive problems that we have had with the uh, the coronavirus testing. That's the question. And we now have evidence based on 300 plus hospitals that this is this was a widespread problem. So have you fixed the problem? That's the question. So that's what upset me. Uh, you know, I've gotten used to the the insults are irrelevant. It's like whatever. It's like it's like when he called my friend Peter Alexander with NBC a terrible reporter. I mean, you know, I mean, it's fine. It's like who 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 cares about the the, the incident? It's just that the, the the problem is that it, it is an obvious diversion from the underlying question. And it's not the first time, uh, according no. to your book, that he has attacked you personally and used obscenities on stage or backstage. Uh, toward you. I guess it goes with the t- Trump territory. But it does get to the question, again, we're talking with Jonathan Carl, uh, chief White House correspondent for ABC News, and his hot new book just out this week, Front Row at the Trump Show. John, what does this say about the value of these daily briefings at the White House? Are we learning anything from them? Should the networks carry them? Or are they just the new version of Trump campaign rallies? Well, I think there's a couple of ways of looking at that question. One is, are we learning anything and should we be covering them? And I think we, it's uneven, but I think we do learn things at these rallies, not necessarily from the president himself, but we get a chance to to question the others. And when there is something, you know, I think it's also important to try to hold him accountable with, with questions as well. But the other question Bill, is should the networks be carrying them live? Because, and and is this does this become kind of like the the the, the quarantine version of, of the rally? He can't go out and do a, a rally anymore. He lives. He, he it's like oxygen for him. Those rallies. Remember, he did a he did his first rally, uh, be, you know, after the election before he became president. I mean, he he couldn't stand just being holed up in the transition. He had to get out and campaign, even though he hadn't even been sworn in yet. Right. So he 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 needs that he needs that outlet, and you know it, whether or not networks should be carrying these from beginning to end. I mean, 
you know, I think you can make a strong argument that just cover them, get the information, digest it, give some context, and then and then report it. You don't need to go wall to wall. Now, that said, anybody can watch this stuff. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. uh, it's live streamed everywhere. I mean, we ABC hasn't carried them wall to wall for a while now. But we do have our digital streaming, you know, live stream, and 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 anybody who is an ABC viewer can get on their phone, get in, and watch the whole thing. And look, this is this is the kind of crisis that people want to hear everything. I mean, so they're watching Cuomo, you know, start to finish. They'll watch. I mean, so that's fine. But in terms of like CNN, MSNBC, the network, should we be carrying it on our big? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I think very fewer people are carrying it wall to wall. Yeah. Uh, some because they're the, two hours long. I mean, some of these yeah, go more than yeah. two hours. Yeah. And some news outlets are not even sending their reporters. Some have suggested, John, I think uh, um, maybe Joy Behar suggested to you on The View that reporters, if they're insulted, they ought to just get up and walk out. Walk out that person who's insulted and the other reporters sort of, uh, you know, to, to show um, support for that reporter. Yeah, I, I know. I mean, I've, I've, we actually, that suggestion goes back before these briefings. I mean, that goes back to when Sean Spicer had some of his re- absolutely ridiculous, uh, press briefings. I mean, those were, I think, you know, yeah, I was far, there. far I less, <laughs> far less valuable than, than these on their worst day, you know, was those Spicer briefings and people would say, stop going, send the interns in. Um, and I don't know. I mean, as a White House reporter, the president's at the podium. I'm going to be there. I mean, yeah. and if he's going to insult me, I really don't care. Right. And if he's going to insult my friend Peter Alexander or my or my friend uh, Yamiche Alcindor or um, you know any of the others, I I don't think that they should care either. But what I think we need to do is what I was doing in that instance. In that instance, which was following up on a question that he was refusing to ask that another reporter asked. And I think you're starting to see more of that. And I, I wish that my colleagues did that all the time. Right. You know, amen, amen to that. I wish yeah. that, that for a long time, even back in the Obama years, I thought yes. there was not enough of that. People would move on to another topic rather than follow up and help uh, each other out. Uh, uh, one question about the briefings. Another one, I guess, is how can, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks, what do you think? How can they stand there when Donald Trump goes off on these rants or is just telling base things that are just basically untrue? You were there, I think, the same day I was when he vaunted these, uh, uh, you know, was promoting these new miracle drugs, right? Yeah. Basically nothing to them. And Fauci and Burks, how do they, how do they just stand there without say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, so, I mean, you can often see the pain to look in, in, in their faces. Uh, but I think that they are, I think they are great public servants who know that it's really important that, that this is, this is a, I mean, I don't know, Bill, I, it, I think it's, I think it's the greatest crisis of, of my lifetime. And absolutely. And, you know, I think that it's so incredibly important to have the actual experts there and for all of the president's, you know, tweeting and the stuff he says and the crazy stuff about miracle cures and going back to church on Easter and all all the stuff he says on the major decision points so far, he's actually by and large taken the advice of the experts. Um, And, 
heaven knows what we'd be into if they weren't there. So, yeah. so I, I think that they have to figure a way to navigate, not, not get fired by him, um, but not, not be total, you know, sycophants the way, uh, the way others have been over the last three years and, and, uh, and to kind of walk, it's a really tough line. And I, I, I admire them doing, you know, I don't know if you, <laughs> there was this thing, um, after the, uh, you know, the whole third rate reporter at the end of that briefing, the very, very end, long after Trump had gone, um, Pence and Burks and, uh, Fauci are left and, and then briefing ends and they leave. Fauci's the last person to go out the door. And as he went out the door, he turned in my direction I gave him a little salute and he did, he did this. He gave me like a little um, right. know, thumbs up and, a, and that became this whole conspiracy meeting. Well, of course. No, you got, you guys have been sending hand signals back and forth. We know that this, this is the deep state at its worst and you are part of it. Again, we're talking with Jonathan Carl, chief white house correspondent for ABC news, uh, his new book front row at the Trump show. John, I want to jump in, jump into the, uh, book with you a little bit, but let's take a very quick break here on the Bill Press Podcast, and we'll be right back. Today's podcast with Jonathan Carr brought to you by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, or the UFCW, under President Mark Perrone. Like doctors, nurses, police, and firefighters, and EMT drivers and staff, those grocery store workers, members of the UFCW, are on the front lines at our grocery stores and chains every single day, processing, delivering, serving us the food that we need, putting their lives at risk in the meantime. We salute them, thank them for their great service to this country, and of course, for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. 
Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Okay, we're back with uh, Jonathan Carl. Check it out. Hot new book, Front Row at the Trump Show. Uh, John, you <laughs> tell some great stories in this book. Um, and there's so many, but maybe just a few. So the Access Hollywood tape comes out. Um, and you were trying to get reaction from some of the <laughs> leading Republican officials, like maybe the chair of the RNC, <laughs> Reince Priebus. Not happy, right? I mean, it, it's just, I, I went back in-, in I don't in think the this had been reported before, by the way, yeah, so tell us I, about it. I mean, I, what I did is I, I went back and tried to reconstruct that entire day, which may be the most bonkered stay in <laughs> like modern American political history, because- not only did you have the Access Hollywood tape coming out, um, but you had just you know about an hour earlier, you had the U.S. intelligence community come out and say that uh, that Russia, in fact, was behind the hacking of the DNC uh, right. emails. I forgot. So same day. Same day. Yeah. That was a massive. You know, I mean, and and I go back and reconstruct how that came out. The DNI put it out. The Obama administration was preparing to brief reporters. I went back and talked to you know all the people that were in the White House at that time. Meanwhile, uh, it was right before the uh, the, the debate, obviously, uh, the, uh, the the second debate, and Hillary Clinton was in debate prep um, out at uh, you know in Westchester County. So she was there with Podesta and um, you know uh, Bob Barnett, who was helping, and Philippe Rhinus was was playing Donald Trump, and you know this news breaks, and it's like, holy wow, this is this is this is this is a big big story. Well, then Access Hollywood happens while they're all in debate prep, and they're in debate prep at Trump Tower too. Yeah, uh -huh. um, and uh, and and you know. The, the reaction to everybody, they it, at the Obama White House, they canceled the briefings <laughs> on, the, on, the, uh, on the background briefings on the Russian report because, as one senior official there told me, we assumed the election was over. They went out and had an early happy yeah. hour. I mean, you know, the, uh, the this Access Hollywood thing was obviously going to tank, was going to tank Trump. Uh, Bob Barnett, who has you know always been helping in these debate prep sessions with with Democratic candidates for for a while. Um, he he shows Hillary the uh, the Access Hollywood tape on his laptop uh, as soon as it's posted by the Washington Post, and um, poor Reince is uh, you know is with is with is with Trump and 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 you know Hope Hicks and Chris Christie and Bannon they're all at you Trump know, Tower at Trump Tower, and and I just recount and 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 Reince is is just kind of uh, is just kind of losing it. I mean he goes back and forth on the train he gets back he's he's uh he's pleading with his friend paul ryan um and uh, scott walker who have an event scheduled with trump the next day um you know to, not to cancel the event and and you know and then and then he sees the flash that the event's been canceled and they didn't even bother to tell him i mean it's 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 crazy but Reince for the first time uh spoke about this on the record to me um, and, uh, and he recounts telling Trump in, um, in, in Trump tower that he basically, there, there's, there's two options. He either, he either drops out or he loses by the biggest margin of any presidential candidate in American history. Um, now Wright says that he was not 
secretly planning to have like Pence replace him because he he had he had talked to the 168 members of the RNC as they were going over this, and he said that there's just no way. Uh, mm-hmm. to, ballots yep. had or, ballots had already been out in most states. You couldn't change the ballot. There was there, there was no way to kind of orchestrate a last minute change. So it was no threat to dump him. No, right. it wasn't a threat. It was just an it was an assessment, according to Reince, of of what he believed was going to happen. It's like you can go through with this, that's fine, but you're going to get killed. And 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 Trump never forgot that Reince said that. And Reince comes in as chief of staff, and every time he looked at Reince, he was thinking, "Think this is the guy that's, that's to get the guy that that's the guy that said that I was going to lose by the biggest margin ever." Right. Somebody else that he lost uh, any affection he might have had for him uh, was uh, chief of staff, who, well, who followed Reince, uh, John Kelly. Yeah. Uh, and you, again, talk in the book about there were times when John Kelly just simply refused to do stuff that Donald Trump wanted him to, like maybe prepare to invade Venezuela. Yeah, no, that was incredible. Oh, oh one other thing I forgot to mention about that day, that the, um, the Access Hollywood, Hollywood day. day. It was Vladimir Putin's birthday. <laughs> isn't that isn't that great? Isn't oh. that just? I mean, see, yeah, the planets were stuff. certainly aligned for that and, day. And 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 within a half an hour of the Access Hollywood tape breaking, the the uh, the Podesta emails, which was the second hack, come out on Wiki, on WikiLeaks. So you had, I mean, it was. And Podesta's in the middle of debate prep when he sees that his entire emails are played out over the, I mean, wow. so anyway, but, um, um, John Kelly, John Kelly. So he, one of the, one of the great things about writing this book was going back and talking to the people that I had been covering, you know, over the course of these last several years and finding out how, how eager and willing people were to tell me deep, dark secrets. I mean, it was just, uh, it was fascinating. John Kelly is one who refused to talk to me um, for the book, hmm. and I and I hit a little bit of a roadblock. Um, I had a I had a bit of a great story, and I just needed to. Um, and I know that he and he had talked to me about it in real time, but off the record when he was chief of staff. So I called him and asked him if I could use a little bit of information, you know, that, that this information he had told me and something he had he had said off the record. And his answer floored me. He said, "You can use everything." Anything wow. I told you off the record, mm-hmm. I told you, you can mm-hmm. use it. So it really adds color and perspective to all of this stuff about the Kelly era. But the story you're referring to, this is one of the just mind-blowing. Uh, so Kelly, uh, Mattis, Tillerson, you know, they were kind of um, among those in the administration who saw their role as trying to basically protect Donald Trump from himself. And maybe to protect the country from Donald Trump, uh, you know, some of his the, worst inclinations, they thought they could just subvert. They could the, follow. The, right, the grownups, we all called them at the yep, time, right? Yep. Yep. And, and, and Kelly was explicit about this, by the way, with me at the time. And, and I have some pretty amazing quotes in, in the book that he told me in real time. But this incident was a meeting um, with H.R. McMaster, who was, the, uh, of course, the national security advisor, uh, and Kelly and Trump in the Oval Office. Trump doesn't really like the situation room, by the way. So a lot of these meetings happen in, in the. Uh, he thinks it's too like, drab, too drab, and it's not. You know, it's like a, <laughs> it's like a conference. It sounds great, but it's just really a conference room with some screens. He doesn't like it. So a lot of these meetings happen in the Oval Office, and um, 
he uh, the subject that HR is briefing him on is is the deteriorating situation in Venezuela, and Trump's Trump couldn't stand HR McMaster. I mean, HR McMaster would come in with his Pentagon, you know, style like PowerPoint presentations and da 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 da, and and Trump doesn't consume information that way. So Not he, his style, right? He, he he would mock him he in, in in public. I mean, you know, in front of others. I mean, so he doesn't want to hear all the details about what's going on in Venezuela. He says, "I want a war plan." Um, he says, I, I need, I need a war plan. And, you know, HR is like, well, I, I, sir, I, I think we have options here that you don't, and you know, I, damn it. I want a war plan. And I believe what he was, although I, I, you know, at the, roughly the, the same time, cause I went back to see what Trump was saying publicly. There was this, there was this tweet. You probably remember it, Bill, but it wasn't, it was just kind of like laughed about. It wasn't taken very seriously where Trump was talking about a naval embargo. Oh yeah, of Venezuela, oh, yeah. which of course is not an island, and also is like <laughs> too big a coastline to block. I mean, it's it's like this is not Cuba, this is Venezuela. So, um, but he's demanding a war plan, and HR is trying to tell him why a war plan is not necessary. And Trump's getting angrier and angrier, and says, "Damn it, I want a war plan." And the meeting breaks up, and he says, "Okay, sir, I will I will get it for you." And he walks out, and Kelly walks out like. After, down the hall after him uh, and says, where are you going? What are you doing? It's like, well, I'm going to carry out the order of the commander in chief. Get the war no, plan gone. No, you're not. <laughs> Don't do that. Uh, you know, because if you do that, it's like, it's, it's going to get the Pentagon all sped up and then it's going to leak. And he doesn't, he doesn't want to go to war with Venezuela. That's not going to happen. Don't do that. So I talked to HR about this, and he's another guy who has not spoken hardly at all on the record about, about uh, at least certainly not candidly, about his time there. And he got a little defensive about it with me. He said, um, there's not great on-record quote, he said, I didn't need John Kelly to tell me how to do my job. And the bottom line is HR McMaster had an entirely different philosophy about how to handle Trump than Mattis, Tillerson, uh, and Kelly, their idea was you kind of placate him, and then you go and you thwart him behind the scenes. You know the things you don't like, um, right. the things that you. And uh, HR had an entirely different idea, which is you tell him to his face when you just when you think he's wrong, and you try to convince him. And if you don't convince him, he's the guy that was elected, not you. You carry out what he said. And this is kind of a theme of his book, Dereliction of Duty, about, about Vietnam. Uh, so you have to be candid with, with the elected leadership. And nobody is electing the National Security Advisor or the Chief of Staff, or for that matter, the Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense. You carry out, ultimately carry out the orders or you resign. And HR never felt a need to resign. Um, but he, you know, so he, he was constantly at, at odds. And what he told me about, what HR told me about this incident is he said, I don't remember that specifically, but that kind of thing happened all the time. Wow. Yeah. You would think that that would stand out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would stand out. Unless, yeah, unless right. there's really a lot of that. And then we don't, I mean. <laughs> so let me ask you one, one final question. You've been very generous with your time, which is, speaking of Kelly, speaking of our HR McMaster or Mattis or Tillerson, they're all gone. Is there anybody left 
around Trump in the West Wing who will stand up to him and say, that's a dumb idea, Mr. President, or that's wrong, or we should not do that. Honestly, right? honestly, I think the answer to that is no. I think that, and, and, and one thing I point out as I kind of track the trajectory of, 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 of this administration is that basically at the time the anonymous op-ed was written, which is basically presents the kind of style that John Kelly had, um, you know, this the resistance within the Trump administration. Did he write it? I don't know. I don't think he wrote it. I don't. And, I, and one clue as to why he didn't write it is whoever Anonymous is uh, said that uh, he was going to donate, he or she was going to donate all the proceeds to the White House Correspondents Association, which, by oh. the way, the check is not coming. I check the mailbox <laughs> every day. Um, uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, John Kelly is not a huge fan of the of the media, let alone the White House press corps. So I just think that that kind of ruled him out. Um, so I don't think it was him, but uh, but it was somebody who had a similar, you know, style and viewpoint. But at about the time that that ran, I think the resistance, such as it was uh, inside the Trump administration, was basically gone or, you know, waning heavily. I mean, Kelly's power uh, had diminished. Um, uh, Mattis was really on the way out. He was still there for a few more months, but 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 his he had been kind of sidelined because of stuff that that Bob Woodward wrote about in his book about about mm -hmm. about Tillerson and that, that, that made Trump upset. So I don't really think, you know, uh, acting chief of staff Mulvaney, his departure was announced at almost exactly the moment uh, that the coronavirus uh, crisis hit. And Mark Meadows was announced as the as the new guy. Mark Meadows didn't actually become the chief of staff till last week. Right. So Trump literally throughout the, 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 the critical time of this crisis literally did not have a chief of staff. Now, you could say that he you know, as a practical matter, didn't have a chief of staff for the past year because acting chief of staff Mick Mulvaney never, ever, you know, was the kind of guy that would challenge him ever. Right, right. He didn't have a chief of staff. He didn't have a press secretary. Um, Communications director, national Communications security advisor. Director. Right. It's all <laughs> anyway. Donald Trump. Again, read it all and uh, a lot more stories and a lot more uh, very uh, tremendous insights into the Trump administration. Front row at the Trump show, Jonathan Carl. Hey, Jonathan, congratulations again. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bill, for having me on. One point about the book, uh, yes. uh, a practical one. Um, it, uh, it hit number three on the New York Times bestseller list uh, this week. And, Great. And it hit number one for a time on Amazon. But the yep. bad news is Amazon uh, is out of stock. Uh, they've, uh, they've, they've sold out of the book. They say that, you know, they're trying to, you know, but they're having all kinds of supply line issues, uh, cause of the crisis, you can get this book immediately. However, at a lot of local independent uh, bookstores like politics and prose in DC and Barnes and Noble has plenty of books and free delivery. All right. And so that's the good news and the bad news, right? Yes. yes. The good news you sell out, but the bad news is the people who want it today may not be able to. But that's the way to Barnes & Noble online or your local independent bookstore. Again, Jonathan Carl, um, I'll see you back at the ranch when we're allowed to come back. Absolutely. Look forward to seeing you, Bill. Always great right. to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks, man. And that's a wrap for today's podcast with Jonathan Carl. And please, we ask you again, it's so important. That's why we remind you every time, please subscribe to the Bill Press Pod if you haven't already done so. It's very easy and it's free. Just go to wherever you're listening to this podcast, pull up the Bill Press Pod, click on subscribe, and then please tell your friends. 
to do the same. That way we continue to grow the podcast every week. And for the full enchilada, follow me on Twitter at Bill Press Pod. Follow my tweets every day, and that way you'll know when each new podcast is coming up. By the way, also, great book again, Front Row at the Trump Show. In our episode notes, you'll find a link to buy Front Row at the Trump Show, a hardcover from Barnes & Noble online, or the Kindle from Amazon, or of course, you can look online for your local independent bookstore and buy a hard copy that way as well. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay safe, stay strong, wash your hands. We'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home, yes, cool, or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.